Welcome to Bedside Matters, the podcast that addresses the medical issues that impact every single one of us every single day. It's true, and we'll hopefully give you the answers you're looking for so you can be more informed, which is a good thing, and healthier, which is an even better thing. I'm one of your hosts, Peter Tilden. I'm joined by Anna Facchino. Hi. And Dr. David Kipper. Hi, Peter. Hi, Anna. Today's episode, we are discussing some very interesting things. Uh, there's a new added bonus for the weight loss medicines, for the semi-glutides. Another topic we're going to discuss, sleeping pills. And I'm very curious to hear about sleeping pills, and perhaps perhaps they're not the best thing for a good night's sleep. We'll discuss. Which I'm dying to hear because I, I'm the worst sleeper. I've been my entire life. So anything that would help is greatly, greatly appreciated. In our Hey, This Just Happened is a brand new drug for type 1 diabetes, which you need to know about. And in our Hey, What About You? We didn't take a caller today. And the reason we didn't take a caller is because David, Dr. Kibber, took hundreds of callers because every other call to his office is about the new COVID. What is it? Do I have it? Does the test work? Do I need a shot for this? Do I not need a shot? How long? How do I know the symptoms? All of that hopefully will be answered in just a moment when we get to that segment. But first, what is the new benefit that has come to light on these weight loss drugs, Doc? This is a really interesting story. This is, we've known forever now, since the semi-glutides hit the market, that they reduce the risk of heart disease and overweight people with diabetes. They did run a study to see if, in fact, they also reduced heart disease risks in people that were overweight without diabetes. Oh. A diabetic or not a diabetic, but you're overweight, right? have the benefit now of these semi-glutide medicines to reduce not only the risk of heart attack and stroke, but all the other things that go along with cardiovascular disease. So this is huge. This is for people that you don't have to be a diabetic now to have an indication for these medicines. Whether that plays out with the insurance companies is right. another story, but at least we know that the expansion of the benefits of these drugs, you know, we've already talked about how they help in type 2 diabetes and how they help in these neurodegenerative dementia diseases and right. Parkinson's. So here's yet another advantage to these medications. Why does it, how, what's the mechanism for it helping the heart? Is it because you lose weight so the heart's not working so hard? Is it helping you lose visceral fat around the organs? Like what is it, how is it's it working? All, it's all of that, Anna. And it does come back to weight loss. Remember, the more weight you have, especially the visceral fat that we talked about last time, it encircles the organs. And so if you have a heart that is encapsulated with fat tissue, that causes inflammation, and that inflammation creates all these other problems. So inflammation's at the root of all this. Uh, it also lowers the weight circumference. We talked about this at one point. Mm -hmm. Remember, we want men to be under 40, women to be under 35. And it also helps with glucose metabolism, even if you're not a diabetic. So there are a lot of values in this for people that are non-diabetic but overweight. So just to be clear, men under a 40-inch waist circumference, women under a 35-inch waist circumference. At the at the belly button? At the belly button. At the belly button, that's right. Hold on. If a guy's five foot one and 40 inches the waist, that's a big problem, correct? Peter, that's a very interesting nuance to this, yes. And these are for average people, not a, a, an adult that's five foot one. And forgive me if you're out there and you're five foot one, you're not abnormal, but so this these is five eleven. I got it. Based metrics on a don't certain, count. Ah, yes, and then you adjust. 
So a couple questions that I got to know about these wonder, because they are wonder drugs now. They're out there. You're seeing just in the Hollywood perspective, forget friends, neighbors, whatever, so many stars that you saw that forever cannot lose weight. But now losing weight, whether they're admitting they're taking it or not, I guess there is a partial thing about embarrassment to admit that or whatever, or say, or well, it doesn't matter. Like you said, it's good that they're losing the weight for their health. But my question to you is, and you may not know all these answers, A, because they're so being used so much more frequently now, have the prices gone down? Has this affected availability oh, yeah. for people who really mm -hmm. need it for the diabetes? Yeah, wasn't there a shortage of pretty much all of them? Have we found out that there is someone you can't prescribe this to if they have this pre-existing condition, or can anybody take it? So the price has not gone down. The indications are for people that have diabetes, except for Wagovi. Wagovi is a semi-glutide. Remember, there's Osempic, Wagovi, Ribelsis, which is the pill form, and Monjaro. And now, coming out, FDA-approved, soon to be in a pharmacy near you, is Jebbound. Jebbound is going to be better than all of these, and it is estimated to be the single most popular medication in history. So this wow. is this is this is coming soon. And the reason it's better is that it not only shuts down your appetite hormones much better than the others, but it also increases the satiety hormone leptin. So this is what you're going to see next. But no, the prices haven't changed. And interestingly enough, with all this information that we're talking about, the insurance companies have still no incentive to cover these. And if you think about the logic here, if you can what? reduce weight and reduce all these chronic illness risk factors. That's a big shift to turn around. And the other part of that was availability. Can you get it? Can you get them? So the medicine is out there, but they are portioning this out to people that, quote, really need it. What are those criteria? Those criteria, if you don't have the cash to pay for it, they'll take a cash patient oh, any day. Oh, all of a sudden you can get it if you can pay cash. You have to now, as the doctor, we have to send in copies of their A1C hemoglobin, which is that blood test for prediabetes. And if that blood test is in the normal range, they don't qualify. So people buying blood and urine of other people now? The, other, the way it used to be for the drug testing, you do the other way. I need a 7.0 or higher. Put it on Craigslist. <laughs> but it is crazy how this works. And remember, this is a drug now that you don't need to take the rest of your life. People say that you're going to gain all your weight back if you stop the drug, which you will if you don't do what you're supposed to do anyhow, which is to exercise and watch your habits. Before we move on, can I ask you one more weight-related question? And we we're talking about before the show with Ann, and she had mentioned a story that involves Spanx. I always wondered, <laughs> with Spanx, when somebody wears Spanx, and you may not know the answer to this, David, does it take up the systolic or diastolic blood yeah. pressure? <laughs> to put them on and off, it does. You're right. I don't know the answer. There you are. <laughs> I will say this. I'm wearing Spanx, but I haven't checked my blood pressure. At one time, my husband walked in the bathroom as I was trying to put on Spanx, and like we made a little eye contact, and then I kicked the door in his face, like to shut because I was like, "You don't, no one needs to see what I go through." By the way, that should be an exercise tape. Oh my god, I found my my next calling. I'm old enough now where I might drop dead of a heart attack while doing it. Okay, moving on. Um, sleeping pills are they not a good idea? Are they a good idea? I've always wondered: are they 
Are they addictive? Do they work? I, I've only ever had one Ambien in my whole life, and I got to say, I slept like a rock. Is this a good thing to do, to take sleeping pills if you have insomnia? This is another common problem that any internist sees in their practice, any doctor sees in their practice. A third of the population don't sleep well. They can't fall asleep easily, or they fall asleep easily, but they get up through the night, so people don't sleep well. And it's, so it's a common problem. And the common solution to this is sleeping pills. People would much rather take a pill than do what they need to do behaviorally, which is frankly the answer to this problem. There are behavioral things that people should know about that would mitigate the need for these sleeping pills. Sleeping pills are dangerous. They're addictive. There's dependency. There's side effects. They're very difficult to manage and monitor. Uh, dosing is complicated. They interact with other medicines. So let's focus now not on the pills at this moment, but let's focus on what the other option is, which is sleep hygiene. You're going to say, don't look at your phone. I'm going to say, prepare your brain, your body, and your bedroom. And in that conversation, preparing your brain, bingo, Turn off your electronics. Don't stimulate yourself. A television, a book, your computer, your phone, these are all things that are stimulating your brain and keeping you from relaxing. So preparation is important. We talked about this, I think, a couple weeks ago about your getting eight hours sleep. And instead of picking your bedtime, pick your wake-up time. So if you need to wake yeah. up at eight in the morning... Reverse engineer. Yes. You can go to bed at 12 o'clock if you can go to sleep. But preparing your body, what are some things you guys think would be good to prepare your system? I know I need to work out during the day in order to be sleepy at night. Like if I lift weights, I will sleep better, hands down. Yes. Meditation, stopping alcohol. That, well, I know that's stopping alcohol, stopping coffee, all of that kind of stuff as far as withholding yes. stuff that would impact that. Yeah. But that's very important, Peter. I mean, stopping, shutting down the alcohol and the meals for four hours before you go to mm -hmm. bed. And the alcohol, because alcohol, what it does is that it pushes you into sleep, but stage one sleep, which is the lightest sleep, at the expense of limiting your stage four or deep sleep, restorative sleep. If I'm never, very rarely do I dream. If I take like a night because I'm sick, I'll have dreams or nightmares. But I'm not a dreamer. I've never, I've never been a dreamer. Does that mean I don't get REM sleep? It means that you are not likely getting as much REM sleep. Do yes. you dream? There, yes. Every night? Yes. 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 Can I borrow a couple? You need to try the aura ring or some sort of sleep tracking thing to, just for a little while to see if what like stages of sleep you're getting. It'd be interesting. But I never dreamed. Even as a kid, I never, never dreamt. You know, it's an interesting thing about the dreaming. So there are dreams where you're right in the game and things are happening. You recognize everybody. And then there are nightmares. There are dreams that are really chaotic and disturbing. Those are the dreams that tend to happen when you are the most sleep deprived. So if you've and, had a few oh. nights in a row where you haven't slept, your dreams just might be a little more complicated. That makes sense, though, because sometimes you think, oh, I, I've slept like crap the past few nights, and then you're on the third or fourth night, and you're like, tonight I'm definitely going to sleep because I'm so tired. And then you don't. Your, your subconscious is playing out. Yeah, it's working. It's working harder. 
How would you prepare your room, your bedroom for sleep? What are some ideas? 68 degrees or lower. Yes, good temperature. But what if your husband or wife or partner can't stand 68 degrees? Fend for yourselves. <laughs> Get a lawyer. Your partner's sleep habits are very important. It, it, that's very true. Yes. So if you can go to sleep easily, but your partner's up there reading a book or watching television, you've got a problem. So Agreed. that's something you have to work out. And if yeah. you're lucky and you can teach sleep hygiene to your partner, you've got that made. I will say the blackout curtains, game changer. Whatever curtains you have up that you think are cute, take them to the tailor and have them add blackout liners. Trust and believe. It is so much better. Because in morning or night? Well, night, it gets dark out early, but you mean in the morning? For me and my husband, we're both very light sleepers. So if one of us wakes up, the other one's up, and then we it's, a, it's bad. And I found that even a little bit of light uh, wakes me up. So up. like wow. the, the moon shining in or, you know, like I, I will wake up for that. And I, in fact... The Aura Ring taught me that I'm a crappy sleeper, and the one thing that helped was a $20 intervention, which was a satin sleep mask, to get the rest of the light out. That really helped? It really helped me. But, Peter, your point, I think, is accurate. The mornings are where this becomes more significant because as the sunlight comes right. in, uh, and some people wake up to the sunlight. Right, I do. So, yeah, me the too. The blackout may make sense, and also I'm the lightest, I guess part of the other part of it is I'm the one who hears everything. You know, a bird farts in the yard, and I'm I'm going. What was that? Yeah, what was that? It's unbelievable. So, yeah. let's talk about these two issues that people will always have when they're having issues with their sleep. They're either having trouble falling asleep, or they're having trouble staying asleep. So, for the first group, people that have trouble falling asleep, it's usually because they're anxious and they're replaying their day, or they're looking at tomorrow, and so their brain is very active. So rather than taking a benzo, which is what a lot of people take, or a hypnotic like Ambien, which puts you right to sleep, pushes you right into stage four sleep, there are some things you can do. There's mindfulness, there's self-hypnosis, but probably the best thing for this is CBT, cognitive behavioral therapy. Oh. And for those listening and have any kind of trouble falling asleep, Look into this because you can do this on the computer. You don't need a doctor to show you how to do this. And and the way CBT works is that it actually gets to the root cause of the anxiety. But don't look it up right before you're supposed to go to sleep. No, no, you're no. You're not supposed but to have I'm, the computer. I'm actually going to try it before the next episode just to see because I'm the I'm the, the poster boy for I got to get you're some the sleep. one you can't fall asleep yeah and I and wake then you're up playing from... those mind games like go to, gotta go to sleep I don't try I think that I'm relaxed but you know what it's also hard for me to shut down I'm so used to having background on because being on the radio or TV what mm -hmm. I have TV on I, as background all the time so to turn off all electronics and to be with my thoughts and quiet <laughs> oh, is, that sounds is, like it, a yeah, nightmare yeah it's a little bit so I'm going to try it. I'm going to try and but, see the difference. But, Peter, that, that's another very important part about this behaviorally. Again, we're trying to get away from sleeping pills if we can. Right. So the behavioral stuff does work. But with that issue that you just described, changing these habits can take a couple weeks. You have to be diligent with this. You have to be patient with this. Right. And you have to try these things and go back and back and back until finally this becomes your new habit.
hey, this just happened. New drug for type 1 diabetes. Is this like a wonder drug? This is fantastic news for people that are first diagnosed within 100 days with type 1 diabetes. There are two monoclonal antibodies that have been developed. Teplizumab, I want you to remember this, baricitinib, those are the two monoclonals. These are monoclonal antibodies that target the autoantibodies that destroy the beta cells in the pancreas. Remember, the beta cells right. produce the insulin. So now you have autoantibodies in type 1 diabetics that destroy the beta cells, so you can't produce insulin. So these monoclonals go after those autoantibodies, and you're now producing your insulin. And it's, it's a 14-day course on this. Uh, you have to take it, as I said, within a few months of first being diagnosed. And it's, it's unbelievable. And you're going to buy about three years of no diabetes from this medication. Wow. You're going to be diagnosed as a type 1 diabetic. Now you have a three-year window to let the rest of the world uh, develop stem cells or the islet cell transplants uh, or the other immunotherapies. By the way, those things are also under development. The, the transplanted islet cells and, and the stem cell therapies. So this is fantastic news. So hey, can you get it like today if somebody's hearing this now? Is it out there already? It's out. And if you look at this from another perspective, if you have 10 years from your initial diagnosis to when your vascular system is just destroyed, which is why you get heart attacks and kidney failure and you go blind from the retinal changes, but now you have another three years in the bank that the, the starting point is pushed back three years you are going to minimize those secondary or long-term effects. So this is great news, huge. So between the diet drugs that they find to be this amazing impact on weight and diabetes, this, type two, yeah. they really are changing the entire game on diabetes. I mean, it looks like the research into this is huge, and it's now finally paying off in a result where they could slow this down and stop it. Is it anything reversing it yet? No, that's where they're looking at these islet cell transplants. That's number one on their list. Or also, as we look for everything, at stem cells there that can, can do this. Uh, and Anna, you made a very important point, and I, I don't think we should blow over this one. These weight loss pills don't work on type 1 diabetes because people, you can't stimulate more insulin production if you don't have the beta cells. So it's it's really, this is incredible. Now, here's the... Hey, what about me? Our segment where we should take a caller, but David has been inundated. So how do you treat it? What should we know? What does it look like, David? And are the tests any good? Lots of questions. I'll let you just have at it. So this is a really important and relevant problem that we as doctors are going through. The, the newer strains now are out. They are more contagious than any of the previous strains. We're in a period of time right now where we're seeing another... Um, huge increase in the amount of infections. And here's the typical call that I get. I don't know. I had a little sore throat. I know I just have a cold, but is there anything I can do? Well, do you have nasal congestion? Yes. Do you have any headaches? Yes. Uh, are you coughing? A little bit, but I know it's just a cold because I tested negative. This is where 
I say to myself, I can't have this conversation again, but of course I do. And here's why the testing is negative, and this is why it's important that if you get these symptoms of a cold, and by the way, it may be a cold, but we're seeing so much COVID now. Those of us that have been vaccinated, remember there are two kinds of immune cells. We get the T cells, which are like the Marines. They come right out, right away. They live for a couple of weeks in our system, and they're fighting the virus. Then you also develop the B cell system. That's the memory immune cell. And those have memory to when these viruses, even if they've mutated, there's enough core viral material that it stimulates the memory cells. They come out and they start fighting back. They don't eliminate the virus. What they do is they mute the amount of virus, the amount of viral load that you have. And it's the viral load that has to hit a certain threshold to convert those tests to positive. So you don't really get to that same level of viral load because of your B-cell immunity. And so you test negative and you think, okay, this is something else. I better call Dr. Kiffer and find out how to treat this horrible cold that I have. So the reason this becomes important is that there is medication, Paxlovid. I have no relationship to that company. I sort of wish I did. And the <laughs> Paxlovid takes it right down. And you, but you have to start it sooner than later. So if I get this phone call, which I often do by day four or five, it's too late for the Paxlovid. The Paxlovid works by stopping the production of more virus. And if you wait too long, you've got too much of a viral load and the Paxlovid isn't going to help you. The Paxlovid will also start it early, prevent long COVID. Right. That right there is worth it. Well, why are so many doctors still so reluctant to prescribe the Paxlovid? Because you know me, I'm I'm Dr. Kipper's little monkey parrot out there in the world. And when people say they have the thing, I'm like, just get the Paxlovid. Dr. Kipper says, get the Paxlovid. And they and they call their doctors and they won't do it. They won't prescribe it. And it, But it's it's available, right? We can still get it. It's not like. It is available and it's still free. Remember, the government is threatening to charge us eight hundred dollars. That's for right. Of course, it packs of it, so you should have some on board. But to answer that question, Anna, and I so respect my colleagues, but not every doctor sees viral illnesses or sees infectious mm. illnesses. So you may have a doctor that's an orthopedist or a gynecologist or someone that isn't seeing a lot of this virus and doesn't have the same experience. If I wasn't seeing five of these people a day, I wouldn't have that understanding. But David, can you tell when somebody comes in your office and their nose is running and they're blowing their nose, whatever, that it may just, can you tell if it really is just, I mean, they aren't just cold anymore. How do you know? It depends on the season. There are times when we do see adenovirus and rhinovirus and other cold viruses. Uh, there are things that can cause your nose to run like allergies. So the spring and the fall, we see more nose running. But if you come in and you, your nose is running and you've got a sinus headache and you're coughing a little bit and you had a sore throat that lasted maybe 24 hours, that's not coming from a rhinovirus. That's not coming from a tree that's throwing pollen at you. That's right. coming from this virus. Do we know like what this variant is called? Do we need to know that? Because Listen, we first started this whole process when we were in the middle of, I think, Omicron. Uh, when we first started having, you know, 
when bedside matters was a glint in Peter and Dr. Kipper's eye, we were we were talking about Omicron. So it, it is it relevant at all, or is is it changing now? Is it um what's it called morphing? What's that word? Mutating. Mutating. Is it mutating so quickly now? It doesn't even matter. It doesn't really matter. In other words, someone's not going to call me. And I'm not going to go through the name of the virus. I'm just going to, I have enough to deal with, with the fact that they have it. Uh, it, It's the variants. And we're going to continue to get these variants. And the last flu vaccine booster that we had, and uh, by the way, the flu vaccine next year is going to be mRNA. And it's going to incorporate a lot of these viral entities that cause the seasonal flu. It's going to be great. But the last COVID vaccine we had was specific for these variants. So I'm encouraging everybody, even though you've had 400 vaccines, to consider getting this vaccine because it is more um, specific for this variant. I'm all about it. So let's recap today's episode. Wow. We covered a lot today. First of all, the extra bonus from the semaglutides. So if you're overweight and you don't have diabetes, you're not thrown out of the loop of people to get semi-glutides. Speak to your doctor about this and have them do the best they can to negotiate with your insurance carrier to get this medication. Godspeed, everybody. Um, and then we also discussed sleeping pills and sleep hygiene. So I would go first for behavioral therapy as opposed to the pills. The bed is, um, is for sleep and sex and everything else in that room, quiet it down, uh, do the behavioral issues with respect to not eating four hours before you sleep, uh, avoiding the alcohol, all those things that we've talked about. But it, it can make a huge difference, but be patient with it because it might take two weeks for you to change some of these behaviors. And a lot of people that are suffering from this will do just fine with this without taking a pill. All right, the big breakthrough we talked about was for type 1 diabetes and this brand new drug, which is stunning. Unbelievable breakthrough and get in there within the first 100 days, but you will because you'll have symptoms. You'll be very thirsty. You'll be urinating a lot and you'll be able to get one of these monoclonal antibodies. They're FDA approved. They should be hitting the pharmacies any day. And this is a game changer. Pretty amazing. And then what about me? Most of the callers this week were about the new mutated, different variety of COVID. And as David said, if it's a cold, probably isn't a cold, right? Don't put your faith in the, in the COVID test. That's all I'm saying, is that if you have any upper respiratory symptoms within the first day or two, call your doctor. Let the doctor have a conversation with you about potentially fixing this with Paxlovid. Amazing. And if you all have a question for Dr. Kipper, head on over to bedsidematters.org, send us a message, and Dr. Kipper might just answer it on the air. And guess what? We also have social media accounts, and you should follow them at Bedside Matters Podcast on Instagram, at Bedside Matters Pod on Twitter, slash X. If you haven't gotten the book yet, override Dr. Kipper's book about brain chemistry. We talk about it all the time because it really has huge input into your behavior and who you are and why you put things off and how you behave. So if you want to know more about who you are, probably the best book about that is called Override by Dr. Kipper. Anna Vicino's got amazing recipes, sauces, spices, cookbooks. I have at least three of her sauces at all times. Last night I had the spicy again, um, which is great. It's gluten-free, grain-free, low-carb, 
Go to nfacino.com. Producer Laurie, thank you for always producing the show. And thank you, by the way, for listening to Bedside Matters. You're sick and tired of being sick and tired. We're here to help. We offer new episodes every Monday, so follow us, like us. Have a wonderful and healthy week. The information on Bedside Matters should not be understood or construed as medical or health advice. The information on Bedside Matters is not a substitute for medical or health advice from a professional who is aware of the facts and circumstances of your individual situation. Thank you for listening. If you enjoyed the show, please share it with your friends. We'll see you next time.